chapter 3. The first 11 verses. The word of the Lord. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are, we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering, share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Amen. One drink of water. And also, so you know, this sermon is uh, borrowed, appropriated. I don't take any credit for most of it, except for the way I may, may mess it up. But uh, it's a Tim Keller sermon from 10 years ago or so. <coughs> well, we come to, as I said, I read that passage from chapter 3 in the... Uh, Epistle of Paul to the Philippians. I was going to say the Epistle of the Apostle, but yeah, say that three times fast. Uh, the, the the topic, the the title of my sermon is righteousness. Righteousness from the law, or and. Righteousness through faith in Christ. And it's really a, a center point of the, the gospel, the message of the Reformation. You know, justification is by faith alone. So it's a, this, I think this passage is a way to get into our hearts how important that is, how critical that is, how crucial 
to the Christian life is that. Now, Paul wrote this letter. I'll just go over as quickly as I can. Maybe you know from prison. He was in prison. Most people think he was in Rome somewhere. During the Acts 28 period of Paul's life, Philippi was a Roman colony. Not just any any city, it was a Roman colony. And it had there were a large number of Roman soldiers who retired. That was a place where they went to live. It's interesting. So that means that the church was probably largely a Gentile gathering. It wasn't very few Jews involved. There had likely been no synagogue there. Uh, if you remember in Acts 16 where Paul and Barnabas arrived, usually they would go to the synagogue and start to meet the Jewish population of the area. In this case, they went out to some, they call it a place of prayer by the river. So if there were Jews there and praying, they were kind of in hiding, staying out of this, the spotlight, as it were. As you might understand, because a lot of Roman government, a lot of Roman soldiers living there, around there, a lot of Roman temples and places of worship. Uh, they had actually gone there by being, after being prompted in a vision. This, that was their, this was their first foray into the, the continent of Europe from the continent of Asia, which was present-day Turkey. Now, Paul had returned there on at least two other occasions. Now, this later in his life, he was in, in prison. He was in jail. He was chained to soldiers 24 hours a day. And this is the things that he wrote back to these uh, Christians that were fond uh, memories of his days ministering there among them. And, of course, there, you know, in Philippians chapter 1 and 2, there are many favorite verses, perhaps, that you've learned, memorized as a child at camp, at Sunday school. You know, the first one that pops up, chapter 1, verse 6, if I say it, and I, and, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So that you're talking about assurance of salvation. He was sure that these folks that he administered to and preached to would be brought to completion. Uh, then in uh, verse 17 and on, he, he talks, he's thinking about dying. Paul is thinking about dying because, well, he's a prisoner, and usually Christian prisoners didn't do too well in Roman prisons. It got even worse a little later. Uh, uh, he talks about, uh, he asks that Christ would be honored in his body, whether by life or by death. He starts to talk about life and death. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. That's it. And he goes on to say that his desire is to, is to depart and be with Christ, for that is, he says, far better. But, the word but, that, that plays a role in this passage, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He was thinking more about them than about himself. 
for his, his goal was for their progress and joy in the faith. And then chapter 2, well, what can we say about chapter 2? Chapter 2 is, is a marvelous chapter, the first part of it, because it's, it's one of the... Uh, One of the four great Christ hymns of the New Testament, they call them. A Christ hymn is a is a uh, passage that just soars in its in its uh, language about speaking about Christ, and it may actually even have been an early Christian hymn. Some of these passages, John chapter one, which Pastor Nate's preaching through now. You know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. And uh, Hebrews chapter 1 is another one. And Colossians chapter 1 is another one. And here, Philippians chapter 2 is the fourth major uh, hymn to Christ. And uh, it, it, it makes you want to uh, praise and exalt him, you know, because he's telling, he told the Philippians to have this mind among you, which is, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's one of those passages where what else is there to say? And there isn't anything else to say, although I'll do my best. Uh, Paul went on to say in chapter 3, uh, he described them as lights in the world, this church in Philippi. So now we come to chapter 3, and I want to highlight that for you today, where he says, uh, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And uh, the question is, what does this speaker mean when he says finally? I've heard, heard it. Nothing, really. <laughs> doesn't mean that. It's an... It's a, it's an uh, I think it's a device of speech. Just come on, keep on listening. You know, we're, we're moving toward the end. Uh, and that really is the point of this whole letter. The, the major point is to rejoice in the Lord. I remember when I was 20, look at my wife, 23, when I taught that Sunday school class. <laughs> on the, Philipp the first Sunday school class I taught was on the book of Philippians. And... I didn't really know anything. <laughs> I'm not sure I still do, but uh, it, it's an amazing thing. Uh, so let's, uh, rather than read that again, I just want to pray again as we come to this passage, this, this section. Lord, I pray that you would, you would teach your people from your word out of this passage. You regard my lips. Guard my heart, that I might speak rightly, Lord, and by the power of your Spirit, Lord, accomplish much through the 
consideration of this passage today, we pray through Christ. Amen. The situation in Philippi was that there was a group of people coming in from outside, and they were, they were teaching, claiming another gospel. They were trying to, uh, again, the, evidently some Jews or groups of Jewish, Christian, Jewish Christians were going around to following up perhaps from nearby Thessalonica where there was a Jewish congregation. They were telling, okay, you, you Christians, you're, you're good. It's good you're a Christian church. Now just come and, well, you've heard it, Judaize. In other words, you have to be circumcised. You have to eat the right foods. You have to do all, you know, X, Y, Z of uh, filling, filling, living up to our standards or you're not really a Christian. You know, a Christ, Christianity has this element, uh, this basic element in it that is a kind of continuing everything that the Jews were, uh, were proclaiming uh, for all the years. Uh, now, Paul right off insults them. Well, one other comment on verse 1. Of course, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. So evidently, what Paul is saying here, he's told them before when he was there or in some other communication that doesn't survive. You know, he's, this, he's repeating. Had a pastor that said, repetition is theological mucilage. <laughs> repeat, repeat. And so, I mean, isn't, isn't that really why, why the, uh, why the uh, we come back every week? <laughs> we forget it too easily. But Paul is repeating, he's emphasizing these things. And he's warning them about these, uh, he calls dogs. Paul, once in a while, Paul would get a little harsh in his language and criticizing those that disagreed with him. Uh, but he says here, or another way to put it, evildoers, or those who mutilate the flesh. So he's, he's being kind of harsh on these, and for good reason. Let's not forget that. It's for good reason that he's being harsh, because this is endangering the very heart of the gospel, of believing. And that's what he gets to in this point, in this passage. We are those who worship by the Spirit of God, or Worship God in spirit, as Jesus said in John chapter 4. He seeks those to worship him, to worship in spirit and in truth, not by the letter. We are those who worship, uh, who glory in Jesus Christ. We glory in him. We find joy and, and we rejoice in him. We revel in Jesus Christ. It's all our, our religion, our, our lives are all about Jesus. We have no confidence in the faith, in the flesh. The things I do, the things I participate in, the rites, the rituals, that it's there's no there's no confidence. There's no righteousness in that. Righteousness doesn't come that way, even though they are proclaiming it. And from here he goes on boasting and showing us that uh, his righteousness, the first thing he does is he lays out, this is a, a resume of the Apostle Paul. 
Before he met Christ on the road to Damascus, where Jesus opened his eyes by closing them, in a sense, by making him blind for a time, he let Paul see him glorified. Paul was a good Jew, but he wasn't a good man. He had the resume, and he goes through these points here about, and it's interesting to, to highlight them, said he was circumcised on the eighth day. He was a lifelong Jew. His family was, were Jews. They were obedient. He was in a long line. In other words, when the baby was born, we make sure we took him and he was circumcised on the exact proper day. He was of the people of Israel. Uh, Israel. He wasn't a, a foreigner. The Jews had gone out from Israel throughout the Roman Empire. They were everywhere, as you read, uh, that they uh, were uh, became citizens of other countries, even in before the Roman Empire, by the dispersion that happened to, to Babylon and to Syria and those. So that there were still Jews. They kept their identity, but... He was of the people of Israel. The tribe of Benjamin. Now, you remember the tribe of Benjamin, the first king of Israel, Saul. Perhaps Paul was Saul before he was renamed. His name was Saul. Maybe he was named after that king. Uh, the tribe of Benjamin remained loyal to David's line after David left with Judah and Benjamin. Those were the two tribes that didn't go off with the uh, pagan uh, influence after Solomon's uh, death. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He spoke Hebrew. He knew it. He didn't, what, he didn't learn it as, his, as a, at school. He spoke it as, right from a small child. He, uh, as the law, he was a Pharisee, which meant he was a uh, a conservative, a faultless law keeper. They were the ones who really worked in getting all those laws put together so that it was not possible for you to break one of the, 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 the higher laws. But these laws, were they were protecting you. And he was a leader. He persecuted the church. When, when the Christians first became uh, visible in society, we got to wipe these people out. We can't, we can't have it. As uh, the high priest in Jesus' day said, they'll take away our place in our nation. That's what they were worried about. They were worried about their deal that they had going with the Romans. He had a first-class resume. Now, a resume is a list of merits, accomplishments, skills, qualifications. What's a resume do? It gets you in, Right? gets you to the top, gets you in with the right people. It's something he needed. And if we think about it, I think it's something that, that we are tempted to accumulate for ourselves in today's world. You know, if you're going to go anywhere, if you're going to do things with your life, you have to what? My high school principal thought I should go to the Ivy League. I didn't. 
But that was, uh, that was one, just one thing in my own life that I see. You're always being tempted to, uh, and it's worse today than ever, I think. If, if you want to go to a college, you have to have, if you want to go to the right college, you have to have the right achievements, the right looking everything. <laughs> you know, my grandson's going to college next year. Imagine all the hoops that they encourage kids to go through in order to be, you know, stand out from the crowd. You market yourself. You sell yourself. You make a case for yourself. And that's what Paul is doing kind of tongue-in-cheek here because he's going to get to the end of it. Uh, even for friendships, you wanted the right kind of uh, friends and do the right kind of things, whatever that class people that you're trying to get yourself into. Well, no offense, but you know, I, think, I think of golf. Sorry, you're golfers. But it, to me, when I was working as an engineer, uh, to, if you went and played golf with these guys, you would really get in with them. You know, that, that was, you know, the, the fact that they invited you, an engineer, to play golf with them, well, you, you're management material. <laughs> but, but again, it's, it's all that same attitude. The modern world works that way. So you, you seek to accumulate for yourself a righteousness, which I call a small r righteousness. Prove that you're right. You're right for this, to be in this class of people that you want to participate with. Friendships, even uh, romance. You want to, want to marry the right kind of a man, the right kind of a woman. Uh, you have to be this kind of a person to be accepted as some thing. You need to perform. You need to meet expectations. You need to adhere to standards. Uh, I need righteousness to survive as a human being. I need acceptance, really, and that's, that's what I'm talking about. A sense of purpose, fitness, value, worth. Everybody wants to be successful in what they do. We want to re you know, realize our potential. That's, that's a buzzword that we hear. To be fulfilled, to achieve our goals. And we do. We see it happening all around us every day. But the, the point is that that kind of righteousness, small r righteousness, is really a most basic human problem. And especially as religious people, we might often think that, uh, you know, we might think that sin, well, what's the big problem? Sin, sin is bad. Uh, and that's true, it is, but, but we don't see the sin that's more insidious than just outright breaking the commandments, stealing, killing, you name it, you've got the whole list. Even though some of them near the bottom, they don't seem quite so bad, you know, coveting, lying. And that's, everybody does that. But it's, uh, according to Tim Keller, for most of us, sin is not the big issue, especially for us religious people. You know, you're here in church, you must be a religious person. Uh, remember the rich young ruler in... Uh, 
Luke 18, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what did Jesus do? He kind of baited him. Well, okay, don't steal. You know, follow the commandments. And he was happy at first. Why was he happy? Well, I, I do that. I don't kill people. I don't murder, slaughter people. That must be, I'm pretty good. Uh, there, Tim Keller tells a story about, uh, uh, there's a woman named Dorothy Sayers who was an author back at the turn of the 1900s uh, that had some exposure to the Christian church. I think her father was a pastor, and she wrote mystery stories. She was before Agatha Christie, if, you're, if you have any interest in that kind of a thing. Yeah. Interesting stories. I read some of them. But it tells the story of a, uh, a headhunter. A headhunter out in the, in the, somehow the missionary comes across the headhunter. Well, you want me to be a Christian, the, the guy says. Well, if I become a Christian, can I, can I steal and, and wage war against the neighboring tribes? And he says, no. Oh, can I, you know, do battle and kill people and cut their heads off and shrink them? Shrink them, you know. No, you can't do that anymore. Can you? Well, can I go and kidnap women and bring them in and make them part of my harem? He says, no. The guy said in the end was, well, I'm pretty old. I don't do that anymore. So I must already be a Christian. You see the point? You're not a Christian just because you don't do certain things. And... Uh, it's my righteousness, my attitude, my disordered love. At heart, I love this life. I love temporal things, and I do not love holiness, and I do not love eternal things, at least not as much as I should. The point is that Christianity, faith in Christ, is not an add-on. It's not a Band-Aid that you put on. When you see Christ you'll see yourself as a different person. Life in Christ is radically a different thing, and I hope you know that at heart. We don't go from being irreligious to being religious, from doing sinful things to doing religious things. That's not what the Christian life is about. You don't keep control of your life. You don't say, well, if I, if I do this, if I come to church and I give a tithe and I do all these things, then God owes me something. We're so easily drawn into that kind of thinking. Uh, God is not and never will be in our debt. When Paul saw Christ, he met Christ, his eyes were open. Then down to verse 7. But whatever gain I had... I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Surpassing worth. Do you see Jesus and knowing him as a surpassing thing? As a, in Greek, it says the super or hyper, hyper, thing. It's, it's, it's beyond what we normally, what the, the 
the realm that we normally uh, live in. I count them as rubbish. Um, that word is uh, euphemism, if you've studied this passage before. They'll tell you King James called it dung, but you get the idea. Uh, something that was ripped off, when he talks about loss, something that, I mean, the word, it get ripped off and replaced with something else. And the capital R, righteousness, is Christ's greatest gift. He's going to go on. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. It's your greatest gift. Righteousness, small r righteousness is, is, your, is what everybody wants. It's, it's the greatest want of human beings. It's your biggest problem because it falls short. What you need is that great gift, the righteousness of Christ. Being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, being found in him. It's, pa it's a passive thing that you participate in, but it's a passive thing. You're found in him. And, you, and pastors can preach for years and years on being what's, what does it mean to be in Christ. There's books and volumes and volumes of scholarship written about what it means to be in Christ. But to me, if you're in Christ, when again, I said it before, I think, if God looks at you, he sees Christ. You're, you're in him. And not only... Uh, in his life and in, in his merit and in his favor, but in his death, which now that's that's a little hard part to swallow, to be like him in his death, and uh, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead, and and that's the last uh, part where I want to stop today. But do you realize that Christianity is all about eternal life? Maybe I'm oversimplifying, I don't know, but to me, that's what always got into my soul, into my brain about being a Christian, eternal life, how the world doesn't, they don't even think they want eternal life anymore. I mean, in earlier days, they did, everybody, you know, you tried to figure out a way that if I could be good enough, that I could finally earn that, but now somehow we've convinced ourselves, well, there's, you know, Eternal life is stupid. It's impossible. Everybody's going to die. And thereby pulling the heart out of whatever meaning any life would ever have. You're planting your feet firmly in midair. My righteousness cannot save me from eternal death. And that, you know, can't deny I don't often say it, but I think it a lot. Well, God has condemned everybody. I guess you can understand why you wouldn't maybe want to 
think about a God like that who's going to kill you, put you to death because you're, you're depraved. So the Christian message, God sees you. God finds you. He comes upon you, comes upon me. In Ephesians 6, this righteousness that he provides is a breastplate. It's a bulletproof vest, Tim Keller says. It protects your heart. It cannot be lost. It is eternal in the heavens. When the enemy accuses you and your righteousness, your little r righteousness, which the enemy will do, say, well, you're not good enough. And people will meet you. You're not good enough. Uh, remind him of that. It's eternal in the heavens. We may be afflicted. Second Corinthians chapter 4. We're afflicted but not crushed. Okay, battery must be running low. I'm almost done. We may be perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We may be persecuted, not abandoned, not struck down. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We fall, but by God's grace we get up. It comes through faith. It depends on faith. Faith itself is the gift of God. We spend our lives from this day on getting to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. It's on. I don't know. Sorry. That indestructible life that's described in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 16. And still we share in his sufferings. He told, Jesus told us that the student was not greater than his teacher. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So don't be surprised. And dying, well, if the Lord tarries, we will die. But that's good for a Christian. In his death, Jesus' death was bad, but it was also good. It was the worst crime ever per perpetrated in all the history of the planet, and we're all abetting it. We're all responsible for some of it. Any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. I know it's, it's not wrong to want eternal life. Some, some, we may be manipulated into thinking, well, you just want, you want life to go on forever, and I do but not just life like this. I don't want life like in this world to go on forever. I want the better life, the higher life to go on forever with, with Christ where he is. He went first and we follow. Christ traveled that road, road before. We have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, uh, although many do. That, that verse is Hebrews 12 verse 4. But uh, and the writer to Hebrews was writing to those who were still alive, but that many were killed, and even today many are being killed, as we read about from our uh, missionaries out there. Second Timothy 2.11, If we die with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer with him, 
we shall also reign with him. Greater glories await. And that's the good news. We will reign with him, with Christ. Christ reigns now. We're going to reign with him. Um, so to close, uh, Tim Keller found this old hymn. It's called It Is Finished by a Scottish pastor named James Proctor. It's not in very many hymnals anymore, but it's, it's the exhortation I want to leave us with. And he says this in the last verse, cast your deadly doing down. All the striving, all the work that we do and the things we chase after, the doing, the small r righteousness, we're trying to look good to somebody else. Cast your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him, in him alone, gloriously complete. It is finished, it is finished. Finished every jot. <laughs> Sinner, this is all you need. Tell me, is it not? Let's pray. Lord, we are driven by the world so often. And Lord, you know we have to earn a living. We have to, to find a way to gain the things that, Lord, keep us alive, at least it seemed to keep us alive. But you, Lord, you said to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, and all these things would be added unto you. So, Lord, we come before you, we lay down this doing. Lord, we can't earn your favor. We've been given it as a gift it is provided to us. It is added to us. And so, Lord, help us to live that out as we go out into your world in the coming week and pray that you would show us how to, to know your blessing, even, Lord, in the midst of the troubles, the sufferings, that for some reason, Lord, we don't like it. But, Lord, we, we love you. And if it's your will that we should suffer things, we know that uh, you, have, you are doing it for our, our purpose to make us fruitful, to make us into, Lord, that creature that will rejoice in being forever with you, eternally, Lord, as C.S. Lewis said, ever going in farther and up higher. Lord, that's our ambition, that's our desire. We pray that you would strengthen us for that path that we follow. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we'll finish with a hymn. And can it be...